My Govanen Melonin, and thanks for tuning in to Speak Friend and Enter Deep Lore. This is where I take the dense and mythical stories of the Silmarillion and do my best to make them more accessible so nerds and non-nerds alike can fully enjoy them. I'm Leah, and I read the books so you don't have to. Today, we're going to talk about the twelfth chapter of the Silmarillion, Of Men, and just like the title, the chapter's a short one too. So the bullet points of the last few Deep Lore episodes are Melkor, aka Morgoth, and the giant evil spider Ungoliant destroyed the two trees of Valinor. Melkor killed Feanor's father, the High King of the Noldor, and stole the Silmarils. Feanor led a group of bold elves over the sea, or in some cases, the deadly grinding ice called the Helcaraxe, to Middle-earth, and the Valar turned the last fruits of the two trees into the sun and moon respectively before walling off Valinor from the inside. After this point, the Valar stay in Valinor and leave Middle-earth alone, and the only thing standing between Morgoth and Domination are the Noldoran elves, Feanor, Fingolfin, and their kin. So prior to this, we were in the Years of the Trees, because the beauty of the creation of the two trees of Valinor was so staggering that it's when these immortal party animals finally started counting time. Now, the trees have been destroyed. We are in the Years of the Sun, which is significant because the elves awoke when the Valar put the stars in the sky, and men when the Valar turned the last fruit of Laurelin into the sun. Isn't the sun also a star? Maybe an Our World nerd? This is a poetic myth. Let us all suspend our disbelief. For a long time, since Melkor broke the lamps of the Valar and plunged the world into darkness, the Valar, specifically Yavanna, the giver of fruits, had kept things in Middle-earth more or less in stasis, so that the flora and fauna would not grow until light came to the land again. This was called the Sleep of Yavanna. At this point in time, when the sun rises, things begin to speed back up to normal, everything growing and changing and living and aging. This is called the second spring of Arda, and the elves grow in number, and beneath the new sun, Beleriand grew green and fair. When the sun is first put in the sky, men awake in Hildorian, a land far to the east in Middle-earth. Different Tolkien texts place Hildorian in different geographical locations some as far east as the East Sea, others in the midmost part of Middle-earth. Since we're talking about the Silmarillion right now, we're calling it the vague, hand-wavy East. When the men awaken in the East, the sun is rising in the West, and they begin wandering toward it. The elves call them the Atani, the second people, but also Hildor, the followers, Apanonar, the afterborn, Engwar, the sickly, Firamar, the mortals. You can see elves feeling very superior that they were born first and are immortal. They also call the race of men the usurpers, the strangers, the inscrutable, the self-cursed, the heavy-handed, the night-fearers, the children of the sun. Elves, it seems, are just as capable of being shady bitches as their mortal counterparts. Tolkien then says there's very little talk of the race of men in the Silmarillion as a whole except for the Atanatari, the fathers of men the ones who traveled west in the earliest years of the sun. 
because at this point in history the Valar have walled themselves in Valinor and decided not to meddle in the affairs of Middle-earth, men never meet any of the Valar. No Vala shows up in Middle-earth to offer the men guidance or invite them to party in their awesome realm in the Western Sea. Men have always feared the Valar and not understood them due to this distance. Hi friends, editing Leah here. There was an inscrutable noise in the rest of this recording session, so if I sound different in the second half of the episode, it's because I re-recorded it to spare your ears. Back to the show. However, Olmo, Lord of Waters, ever the most compassionate to his mortal charges, looks after men in his own way. He sends them messages by stream and flood, but the men have never been instructed in messages like this, and they don't understand, but they do love the water without knowing why. They meet the Avari, the elves who never crossed the sea to Valinor, what this chapter of the Silmarillion calls Dark Elves, as opposed to the elves who did go to Valinor who are called Elves of the Light, because they have witnessed the light of the two trees. The forefathers of men befriend the Moraquendi, the Dark Elves, and are taught by them in the ways of the world. Morgoth has only recently returned to Middle-earth, and his evil ways are stymied by the sudden presence of the sun, so the land is, for once, pleasant. Men spread all over the continent, and their joy was the joy of the morning before the dew is dry, when every leaf is green. The chapter name drops some larger events that will happen later on that men have only a small part in, wars between Morgoth and the forces of men and elves. Tolkien really drives home the point that while elves and men look similar and have similar physical abilities, the elves have greater wisdom, skill, and beauty, and elves from Valinor are even more amazing than those skanky Avari elves who have never seen the light of the two trees. Elves are immortal, always growing wiser, and they can never become sick or die from illness, but their bodies are mortal and can be broken. Men, as we know too well, are frail, killable, and subject to sickness. No one knows what happens to the souls of the race of men after they die. Some say that they too go to the halls of Mandos, but their place of waiting there is not that of the elves, and Mandos under Iluvatar alone save Manway knows whither they go after the time of recollection in those silent halls beside the outer sea. None have ever come back from the mansions of the dead, save only Baron, son of Barahir, whose hand touched a Silmaril, but he never spoke afterward to mortal men. So it seems that for at least a short time, the souls of men do wait in the halls of Mandos and reflect, but after that, it's anyone's guess. Only Iluvatar and his top guys, Mandos and Manwe, know. In later years in Middle-earth, elves and men will become estranged from each other thanks to the lies and schemes of Morgoth. The elves will fade and wander in lonely places and become memories, except those who sail west to Valinor. And they will resent that men's power is only beginning to grow. Tolkien even uses the word usurp. Men usurped the sunlight. But in the early days and the years of the sun, the elves and men treated each other as kindred, and there were men who learned from the wisdom of the elves and became great. Tolkien ends this chapter by dropping a juicy tidbit about one of my favorite characters. And in the glory and beauty of the elves, and in their fate, full share had the offspring of elf and mortal, Eärendil and Elwing, and Elrond their child. Yes, Elrond has mixed elven and men heritage. One of his by-names is Elrond Half-Elven, but we'll talk a lot more about that later. 
That's going to be it for this episode of Speak, Friend, and Enter Deep Lore. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Those reviews really help people find the show. If you have a question or topic you'd like us to discuss on the show, please email us at speakfriendpod at gmail.com. We'll have a regular episode up soon, then we'll have another deep lore episode about the next chapter of the Silmarillion, of the return of the Noldor, where we'll learn about Feanor's less-than-triumphant return to Middle-earth. Until next time, Muhu Torgizu Turgoskin.